You're listening to the SHL Smart Teams Podcast, a show where we invite experts on people science to talk about how to build a future where businesses thrive because their people thrive. Welcome to SHL Smart Teams. Uh, I am Lydia and I am a consultant and business psychologist at SHL. Um, and I am joined here today for part two of a uh, podcast series um, with Adeko uh, and joined by Mark Whitehead. Would you like to introduce yourself, Mark? Yeah, hi, Lydia. Thanks so much for inviting me to do this. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here. Uh, my name is Mark Whitehead. I'm the Senior Product Manager at the ADECO Group Digital uh, for Assessment. Uh, so I've been working with the ADECO Group for just over three years now and have a total of nearly 15 years of working in the wonderful world of, uh, of psychometric assessment. So I guess in the in part one of this podcast, um, Dan Curran, your colleague, and my colleague, Estelle, um, talked a lot about the early careers market um, and also about uh, the CEO for One Month program that we have um, written a white paper about. If you could perhaps give us a bit of an introduction from your perspective to that program and, and what we're aiming to get out of that or what the objectives are of that. Yeah, sure. No problem. And I'd say the first part of the, uh, this, this podcast will be well worth listening to for Dan's perspective. I mean, CEO for one month in a nutshell is kind of the ultimate internship for aspiring future leaders. Um, it's an international program. It's active in more than 40 different countries. Um, and it's an opportunity for people to gain direct exposure to leadership roles and leadership networks right at the top of a multinational corporation. Um, essentially what happens is we have people apply from all over the world. Uh, we screen them as we'll discuss in this podcast um, and we uh, assess them. And for each of the participating countries, we pick one person to be the local CEO for one month. And they spend a calendar month shadowing their local chief executive. Of the ones who do that, uh, we take a top 10 based on their performance and, and a, uh, a consolidated uh, rating and take them through to a boot camp where one will become the global chief executive for one month. And they will shadow our, our CEO, Alain Dehaz, uh, go where he goes, do what he does, meet with whom he meets, and really get a taste of what it's like to work right at the top of the organization. Beyond that, though, because I've just talked about 42 people having a great time, beyond that, there are tens of thousands of people who apply for this program. And it's a chance to, to get some meaningful feedback on your natural style, a look at yourself in the context of your, your aspirations as a future leader. Uh, it's a place where uh, you can safely showcase your skills, hone your networking abilities. Um, you can expose yourself to an opportunity um, with other interested companies in your career market. So we partner with a lot of our international clients um, to make these incredibly talented young people available to other organizations as well. And of course, for a select few, it's actually the start of what we see to be a very long career uh, with the ADECO group. Uh, I've lost count of the number of former CEO for one month winners uh, that I come across in my day-to-day -day work. So that's the program in a nutshell. Yeah, interesting that you've had so many that have carried on. But we've had, as we've talked about, Mark, such a, um, a huge uh, number of applicants this year, even even more so than the last year, over 147,000, which is yeah, huge success for for the program. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, any program getting 140,000 expressions of interest is is clearly doing well in terms of promoting itself. Um, and and we're really really happy that it offers so much engagement. You know, it's a huge price, but 
equally, I think I think we have that burden as well of, well, these are 140,000 people who are expressing an interest in us. We also need to express an interest in them now and give them every opportunity to succeed as well, because uh, that's so many rejection letters, right? Yes, well, exactly. But yes, exactly. A demoralizing cycle for people who are going through that process. Um, well, and certainly... <laughs> yeah, well, well, not the, not this one, but you know, for for gen, uh, in it can general, be. it's a huge risk. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, and I guess going back to some of the points that um, I know Estelle and Dan talked about in the previous podcast, it's it's a huge advantage uh, for people to be able to have those experiences. And we know that from the pandemic that this is something that you know just hasn't been as easy for people to get, you know, there haven't been those internships, there haven't been those opportunities. And so to give people that sort of level of exposure to that through a program like this is hugely valuable. It is, yeah. And even we've struggled for the last two years as well. You know, both the 2020 and the 2021 program were heavily affected uh, by the COVID mm. pandemic. We, we had to uh, certainly run the global, everything global had to run uh, virtually, uh, much to our annoyance, because we've we've done some fantastic uh, boot camp and assessment centres in all kinds of international locations before. Um, but for the last two years, yeah, we've been running it virtually, um, and it's been really interesting to watch how the applicants cope in that pandemic world as well. Um, but you're right; it, it is still a hugely valuable experience, and um, we've we've ensured that they still get the exposure, however they can to the right people, the right networks, the right experiences. Um, even though, you know, I think I think we all appreciate it's, uh, it's less than ideal compared to face-to-face, -face, right? Yes, well, exactly. And and with the, the way that we have done this as well with, with having these upfront assessments where we can sort of assess people virtually, both with cognitive ability assessments, personality assessments, looking at people's um, behaviors in various situations through these objective psychometric assessments. It means we can, you know, we can involve so many more people in this process than if we were, for example, just relying on CVs and, and sifting people out based on experience that they potentially have never had the opportunity to get. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting. You know, we my position on the program is kind of as an advisor in terms of you know how to bring kind of objectivity and an impartiality into these processes and we always set out to use assessments as a screening process with efficiency in mind you know mm -hmm. how do you go from 140,000 expressions of interest to you know even even 12,000 people who complete the assessments in full that's still a heck of a number even across that many countries we, so Absolutely. we always set out with efficiency in mind, but actually what's happened with, with COVID and the pandemic and the change that we've seen is that it's become even more important because graduate CVs look more similar than they ever have done now. Mm. You know, they all have a degree, yep, managed to do that. But what you don't see necessarily is, is those differentiators like, um, have they done an internship? Have they got some commercial experience? Were they able to take part in extracurricular activities? Because what we've got now coming through that pipeline is, is the only uh, educational generation in history who have had those opportunities artificially limited. Mm -hmm. So experience doesn't exist on a CV really now. Those who mm -hmm. have it are wildly over overprivileged compared to those majority who don't. So assessments don't just give us efficiency in this context. But they also give us the opportunity to say to everyone, OK, you have a completely fair opportunity to show yourself now, to show you what you're capable of and 
and we can explore your genuine potential without any of the trappings of of, of what might be on your CV normally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A huge opportunity to level the playing field um, in that sense. Yes. Yeah. I guess in terms of the, the qualities, then what do you, from your perspective, see, or and from a DECA's perspective, see is, is important for these graduates applying for the CEO program? It's a really interesting one. Um, I, I often liken it to, you know, it must be very similar to, to the application field for a, a series of The Apprentice. Um, <laughs> what, what, we, what we're advertising is basically the ultimate experience for an aspiring future leader. And, and so naturally, we're looking for people who really have a passion for growing themselves into leaders. Um, some of them will have had some experience of doing it, you know, anyone listening to this podcast, I'm sure can, can think of examples of, of you know, young people or early people early in their careers who have shown entrepreneurial spirit and developed a small business or an app, for example. But what's really important is that we need to balance that leadership quality. So, you know, yeah, we, we look for certain factors around the, uh, the, the capacity to lead, the, the um, tendency to take charge, but also we have to kind of balance that practically with skills that they're going to need for the first few years of their actual career, which is more around forming networks, uh, coping with change, pressures and setbacks, um, working in uh, ambiguous areas, for example, um, but crucially, uh, those things around communication, teamwork and networking as well, because if you don't build a network of good relationships, if you don't form the ties and links that you need within your organization and outside it, you don't necessarily earn the right to become the leader that you want to be. So yeah, there's a real balance of, uh, of soft skills, I think, that, that leads to what we would call a, a good applicant. Um, and then on top of that, of course, you've got um, raw intelligence as well. You know, we need people who are able to take on an almost overwhelming amount of information. You know, you have to very quickly get your head around a multinational, multi-brand organization with networks layered in networks. So uh, learning agility, general intelligence, general performance. Um, and what's nice is I'm sure we'll talk about later is that we, we saw the links of this all sort of borne out in the results as well. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, with, with everything you've just mentioned, and, and we obviously have designed the selection process around that, you know, with our cognitive ability test, looking at that capacity to deal with that kind of information, personality assessments, our, our occupational personality questionnaire, looking at that potential around how is someone likely to behave in those diff particular, uh, different situations? And, you know, are they likely to perform well in that area alongside, you know, situational judgment as well? Um, you know, in those scenarios, how are they likely to uh, likely to behave in those scenarios that are going to be relevant for graduates? So such a good opportunity to really get that whole person approach and, and encompass all of those things that you've just talked about. Yeah, ab absolutely. I, I think the worst thing we could have done would be to focus exclusively on someone who shares the exact same qualities as a successful chief executive and yeah. <laughs> bring them into the organization. And then, you know, the, the first time they're asked to um, you know, update a Gantt chart or, or a project plan or go and uh, go and collate a bunch of documents for a meeting, for example, which we genuinely will ask them to do at some point. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we don't want them walking away when they're asked to do something that isn't leadership. They have to really understand that this is the first step in transforming yourself into what you want to be. You don't just go from naught to 100 straight away. Um, yeah, so I guess with... Um 
with these as well to talk a little bit more around um, around the process. It was quite interesting. One of the things that came out in the in the white paper in terms of the, the impact of um, cognitive ability tests, and actually that what we saw was that people who did better on those cognitive ability tests also did better um, in terms of the situational judgment type parts. So in terms of how they would choose to act in, in particular situations. So that was quite an interesting uh, finding. I don't know from your perspective. Oh, look, I mean, it's really funny. I've, I've worked in this assessment world for you know a decade and a half now. And it's one of those it's one of those messages that's drilled into you during all of the <laughs> all of the accreditation training, isn't it? You know, you, you get out yeah. that 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 chart of how predictive things are. And yeah. the lesson is that cognitive ability is the best predictor of general performance. And you kind of soak it up and you go, OK, I trust this. You know, someone else did the research. Honestly, when we when we saw that there was a, a a meaningful correlation between the overall scores of a general ability assessment and then the performance on a situational judgment test, the results of uh, a personality questionnaire, that really that was just it was just a joy to see that as someone who kind of geeks out on this stuff. I was really <laughs> happy to see that. And it, it means that, you know, we, we can say with fair confidence that. Um, if you want to use a single tool as a single point of screening or a single point of stack ranking your candidates, that general ability, despite everything that's changed in this world, has a huge part to play still. And we've we've yeah, proved absolutely. it for the first time in ages. It's wonderful to see. Yeah, and especially when used sort of in this in in this combination way, so that we can really get that full picture. You know, that talent is multifaceted, and that you know we have this ability component, and bringing all those behaviours in together as well is such a powerful tool. And I think even more convincingly, still the fact that our our finalists, you know, those people who got right through to the end of the process, who'd gone through other stages later, they'd gone through boot camps, they'd gone through all these other assessments. Those people we also saw, you know, were doing markedly better. Um, in in our preliminary assessment so yes yeah, such a strong yeah. comment i think on that assessment process yeah yeah that's it and i think i think that's the other thing that this isn't just about online assessments as well this is about making sure that at every stage you know when we send a send a long list to a country and they perform their sort of selection process that gets them to their ceo for one month and then when we're on the global boot camp we bring these finalists in it's really nice to see that the the, the scores that finalists achieve are higher on average in almost all dimensions than the overall pool as well. That that mm -hmm. tells us that the whole process is aligned to quality, and the further down the process somebody gets, the the, the higher their life, level of talent is likely to be. Uh, it, it's massively encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, they are, as you said earlier, with the efficiency side of things as well, it's definitely that brings huge value as a uh, as a recruiter, just generally. I don't know if you oh, yeah. have any other thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, look, we, we, we've been able to, from an efficiency perspective, we've been able to take 140,000 people who give their name and email address and say, hey, this might be of interest to me. Mm. We then send out to them an invitation to formalize their application. And that involves telling us where they live, registering in more detail, um, uploading their CV, uh, and then going on to complete assessments. And, and you know, look, let's be realistic here. 90% of the people that expressed interest didn't get to the point where they complete assessments. But I'm kind of okay with that. Because, mm. you know, if all you have to do is give your name and email address to a company and you expect to become CEO for one month, I'm afraid your expectations are grossly out of out of line. And 
you know, what, what we end up with are people who have demonstrated that they are willing to jump through some hoops, mm. that they're willing to take some assessments that, you know, most, find, most people should find challenging at some point, right? This is a test of ability in part. Um, you know, they, they complete a, um, a realistic job preview, which offers them feedback as to whether this might be the kind of program for them or not. Uh, they complete a situational judgment test, which is genuinely realistic to the situations they may find themselves in. Um, and when you take all of this into account to land on 12,000 or so really qualified, really engaged people who we can say have a really good level of general talent, um, I think I think that is that's what every graduate recruiter wants, and we do that with a program team of like three. Yeah. It's not. It's, yeah, it's amazing. You know, to to get to that point, it's not like we had a, a an enormous service center full of recruiters dealing with loads of queries. Um, you know, it it was a very very slim operation in terms mm -hmm. of the the people and campaign support, and you know, SHL takes some of the weight, you know, when it comes to the assessment stage and the candidate queries, and, and we're very thankful for that. Um, but but equally, I think it's a, a testament to how digital process automation does its job well, as well. Mm. And then the final thing I'd add as well is that the great advantage is that as long as you start that assessment process, as long as you complete at least one assessment, we guarantee that you'll receive a feedback report back as well. Yeah, hugely um, valuable from a candidate perspective. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think you know, in 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 his episode, Dan Crerand was talking um, in some in some emphasis about the importance of candidate feedback, mm -hmm. and, and for us as an organisation, being as visible as we are, and also engaging with other clients with these candidates who make their way through the process as well, we really understand and recognise that feedback is important, and we've invested time and resource in in creating that process for them as well. Mm, absolutely. Um, something interesting, I guess, that we got to see as well, linking back to um, the previous conversations in the last episode around um, the pandemic, is is to be able to really compare actually what was coming through side by side, which was such an interesting thing to see. And interesting that we saw this year, you know, this lower tendency for candidates to show potential in some of those leadership behaviours, taking the lead in situations, um, deciding and initiating action. Um, and taking ownership of things. So I guess from your perspective, how do you think the pandemic might have impacted that? Um, yeah, it's really interesting. And you're right, the year-on-year -year stuff has um, uh, has been really revealing. Um, a year ago, you know, we published a, a white paper which said, you know, is the, is the snowflake reputation justified or not? Mm. Um, and, and we do see, you know, evidenced in this that of all of the behaviours um, our candidates are less likely to demonstrate or, or, or less likely to enjoy, um, it's things like, um, you know, uh, coping with pressures and setbacks. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, adapting and responding to change. And I think that is just highly reflective of the fact that these candidates have spent one year last year and two years this year in some of the most negative change times that we've seen in anyone's kind of living memory. You know, for the mm. first time, we've not embraced change. We've hated it. <laughs> you know, I've, I've not enjoyed it. Um, mm. I work from home anyway, so it's not been that bad for me, but I've certainly not enjoyed being confined to my home. And so, you know, when we ask questions like, um, to what extent do you, do you, do you uh, embrace change and love, love the way things change? I, I feel quite, you know, I feel quite bad for these, these, these younger people uh, coming into the workplace. Um, I really do. And I, and I think that's one of the things that 
you know, as we think about what employers need to do and the steps they need to take, um, I, I think showing some empathy for this and giving them the opportunity to experience change and experience setbacks in a safe way will be a really mm. important part of, of what employers do. Yeah, absolutely. And those things around taking the lead and, and making decisions. I mean, we've all had to sort of go with the government view on what we should be doing for, you know, such a long period of time. So it's certainly understandable that people aren't quite as, it doesn't come quite as naturally with people perhaps to do those things. No, I guess one no. Of, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, exactly, exactly right. These things don't come naturally. Um, and they haven't had the opportunity to do it in the safe world of, of higher education mm. either. Yeah. And I guess, too, with, um, with what you were saying about, um, you know, that kind of coping with pressures and setbacks, one of the other things that really came through and, and was consistent with the previous year as well is that that tendency for, for risk aversion, you know, being, you know, candidates want these meaningful experiences, but, you know, they have, they are not so comfortable doing that in a, in a high risk environment. So what do you think organizations or ADECO can do to support that? Yeah, I, I think that's a really important thing. And, um, you know, again, sort of uh, throwing back to Dan's episode slightly, you know, his area of expertise in particular, an area of passion is not just about finding people and hiring them, but then developing mm. them, and giving them the support that they need. Um, for me, I think, I think, look, what does the data tell us? It, it tells us that this is a group of people who don't see themselves as taking risks. They don't see themselves as enjoying working in a world which is constantly knocking them down. And so certainly, you know, any organization hiring people coming out of this, this, this uh, university and graduate market at the moment should be thinking about, they really do need to consider, you know, things like mentoring, uh, things like checking in, um, you know, we're not all back at the office full time, you can't get a good read on people uh, in half hour slots via Teams. So I think there's a lot to be said for, especially line managers about, regular check-ins, making sure that well-being is looked after, um, and trying to create, and I know it's almost becoming a bit buzzy, but creating that atmosphere or that environment where you can give them something where they might not succeed, but if they don't succeed, it's okay, as long as they learn from that, so that they learn that change and they learn that setbacks are something that do happen, can be dealt with, and that the next time they happen, they'll do them more positively. I think if you can nurture that kind of experience, mm. you have then the potential to develop some of the enormous strengths that these aspiring future leaders have around yeah. thinking strategically, challenging ways of working, and bringing innovation and creativity to an industry that so desperately needs it. Absolutely. And, and I guess feeding into some of those things that we saw as as the, the key drivers for these, this group as well, in terms of, you know, meaningful work, having that personal growth and, and um, you know, being somewhere where you are working in a place that's principled, that uh, is able to kind of uphold those ideals and ethical and quality standards and things as well. So being able to kind of counteract that with some of those things that we know are really motivating um, for this mm. cohort. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think, I think that's what I'd say as well, is that, you know, if there's things that employers can do, I think if employers are looking at, well, should I employ somebody in a official graduate role or do I want to take on a few people who are early in careers, get mentored and sort of fast track through the organization? I think what we can demonstrate is that we absolutely have a really good pool of candidates here. And as much as we'd like to, we can't hire all 12,000 who completed our assessments. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, you know, there's a tremendous opportunity here, um, you know, through our LHH business 
whereby we're able to say, look, we, we've got really good pre-qualified, really engaged people here. Come the end of our assessment period again this year, we'll be in exactly the same position. So um, I, I'd say if anyone's listening and thinking, oh, it sounds really good, where do I get them? I'd say get in touch. Uh, contact either myself, your local LHH business, and we'll point you in the right direction. Well, this has been a great conversation, Mark. Um, I guess if you wanted to give one final sort of takeaway, if there was one thing you wanted the audience of this podcast to walk away with, what would you say? <laughs> I would say there is enormous power in the early careers market at the moment. Huge numbers of extremely talented individuals who we prove through the use of assessments and, and objective testing that they have the capacity to do great things, to learn to lead, to grow themselves, to think creatively, to bring a new sense of direction and purpose to an organization. But they need nurturing, they need looking after. And as we begin to return to the office again, I think there's a golden opportunity there to, um, to bring some of these people into, into a workforce. So do it, but do it with care, I think is how I'd put it in a nutshell. Yes, I like that. <laughs> do it with care sounds, sounds out. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you for joining us. And for those listening, please subscribe to SHL's podcast if you want to listen to more interesting content. Um, and don't forget to check out the white paper as well if you haven't already for a bit more detail on the things that we've talked about today. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for having me, Lydia. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to the SHL Smart Teams podcast. To learn more about how SHL helps companies leverage their greatest asset, their people, please visit shl.com.